Welcome to Chromodiversity Season 3, a podcast for clinicians, therapists, and families about common genetic diversity in children and adults dedicated to new science and new support. In this first episode, you'll hear the very latest scientific update, authored by 10 of the world's leading researchers regarding the three most common chromosomal differences in humans, Kleinfelters, XYY, and trisomy X also referred to in the usual pathological language of the medical world as supernumerary sex chromosome abnormalities. Thought to occur in roughly 1 in 500 people, rarely visible at birth, and in the vast majority of cases still never diagnosed in a person's lifetime, it's now well established that all three supernumerary chromosomal differences, while natural occurrences and not disorders in themselves, can lead to a wide variety of predictable, heightened lifelong neurodevelopmental, psychiatric, and physical health risk. As you will hear, understanding of these differences is accelerating due to leaps in the science of genomics and epigenetics, as well as surging non-invasive prenatal testing that allows to study increasingly large cohorts of extra X and Y children. The good news is that we now know some of these risks can be identified and addressed as early as the age of one year old and early diagnosis is likely the best predictor of positive lifelong health, professional, and social outcomes. At the same time, you'll also hear that the latest findings, like good science tends to do, raise more questions than they answer. Not only do new findings put into question some of the most basic long-held assumptions about the causes and clinical management of the best known of the three, Kleinfelters, they highlight how remarkably little is known about the other two and flag an urgent need for updated evidence-based clinical guidelines for all three. The paper is a summary of the third international workshop of Kleinfelters XYY and Trisomy X, which took place at Leiden University in the Netherlands in September 2022. It includes for the first time the perspective not only of researchers and clinicians, but also questions and priorities raised by advocacy organizations, which we plan to feature in more detail later this year in a separate episode of Chromodiversity. Hi, I'm Elliot Pollack, founder of MyXXY Chromodiversity Foundation, and I'll be your host. In the interest of full disclosure, Two of the authors of this paper, Klaus H. Grafhold and Nicole Tartaglia, are members of our advisory board, and I was fortunate to attend and participate in the workshop as an observer and potential backer of one of its future projects. Supernumerary Sex Chromosome Abnormalities New Developments and Future Trajectories, a summary of the 2022 Third International Workshop on Kleinfelter Syndrome, XYY, and Trisomy X by Klaus H. Grafholt, Alberto Furlin, Jörg Grommel, Anders Jewell, Armin Rasnahan, Sophie Van Rijn, Alan D. Rogel, and Skakabek, Nicole Tartaglia, and Hannah Schwab, published on January 1st, 2023. Abstract. The third international workshop on Kleinfelter syndrome, trisomy X, and 47XYY syndrome was held in Leiden, the Netherlands, on September 12 to 14, 2022. Here we review new data presented at the workshop and discuss scientific and clinical trajectories. We focus on shortcomings in knowledge and therefore point out future areas for research. We focus on the genetics and genomics of supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes with new data being presented. Most knowledge centers specifically on Kleinfelter syndrome, where aspects on testosterone deficiency and the relation to bone, muscle, and fat was discussed, as was infertility and the treatment thereof. 
Both trisomy X and 47X double Y syndrome are frequently affected by infertility. Transitioning of males with Kleinfelter syndrome was addressed, as this seemingly simple process is in practice often difficult. It is now realized that neurocognitive changes are pervasive in all supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes, which was extensively discussed. New intervention projects were also described, and exciting new data concerning this was presented. Advocacy organizations were present, describing the enormous burden carried by parents when having to explain their child-specific syndrome to most professionals whenever in contact with healthcare and education systems. It was also pointed out that most countries do not have healthcare systems that diagnose patients with supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes, thus pinpointing a clear deficiency in the current genetic testing and care models. At the end of the workshop, a roadmap towards the development of new international clinical care guidelines for Kleinfelter syndrome was decided. Introduction. The third international workshop on Kleinfelter syndrome, trisomy X, and XY was held in Leiden, the Netherlands on September 12 to 14, 2022. This event followed successful prior workshops in 2010 in Copenhagen, Denmark, and in 2016 in Münster, Germany. It was originated by Professor Hannah Schwab and her local organizing team at the University of Leiden, as well as an international scientific organizing team. Over three days, participants presented the latest developments within the field, and clinicians and researchers from many different fields met and exchanged ideas. The workshop expanded on the previous meetings by including research on trisomy X and XY syndromes. Representatives from different advocacy organizations also attended the workshop. Here we present a summary of topics from keynote speakers. However, must also acknowledge additional oral and poster presentations of new science on myriad topics, many from promising young investigators. Genetics of Supernumerary Sex Chromosome Syndromes the session on genetics of supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes revealed great progress during the past couple of years in understanding potential molecular underpinnings for the different phenotypic traits. The pathophysiological thinking seems to be moving away from searching for single candidate genes, like the first gene, the SHOX gene shown to be involved in growth many years ago and since extensively studied. Currently, the picture emerging focuses more on X-chromosomal escape genes, including genes from the pseudo-autosomal region, PAR, and other genes with Y-chromosome homologs, thought to be likely candidate genes both for involvement in Kleinfelter syndrome, but also Turner syndrome, and the other supernumerary sex-chromosomal syndromes. In addition, it's now clear that the DNA methylation landscape is altered in a genome-wide fashion, and that, indeed, also the coding RNA transcriptome, as well as the non-coding transcriptome, is pervasively changed in several tissues. Armin Rasnahun and Anne Skakabake gave two keynote lectures on the genetics of primarily Kleinfelter syndrome, but also on the wider picture of sex chromosome abnormalities, and each presented new unpublished data that added to the complex picture. These lectures were followed by oral presentations each adding to the complex genetics or genomics of supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes, utilizing both sampling of multiple tissues, induced pluripotent stem cells, IPSC, and comparative studies from individuals with several syndromes. The emerging picture also shows that more studies will be needed, adding a temporal dimension. In other words, understanding how genomics change during development 
and a multi-tissue approach since it's becoming increasingly clear that each tissue carries its own coding and non-coding transcriptome and DNA methylation signature, a unique genetic fingerprint. The coming years are likely to hold major advances in understanding of sex chromosome dosage effects on the human genome, given the rapid recent expansion of new techniques for genomic analysis, including spatial and single-cell transcriptomics, organoids, iPSCs, and other techniques in a multi-tissue and temporal fashion. Kleinfelter syndrome, hypogonadism, bone, muscle, and fat metabolism. The risk of osteoporosis is significantly elevated in men with Klinefelter syndrome and easily attributed to the ensuing hypogonadism that most experience. However, this relationship is not always clear-cut. Many studies have found diminished bone mineral density, BMD, and increased risk of vertebral fractures in subjects with Klinefelter syndrome. Testosterone replacement therapy, TRT, increases BMD in men with Klinefelter syndrome but there are no studies showing that the fracture rate actually is diminished. However, this is inferred from other conditions of male hypogonadism and from observational studies. Studies using high-resolution PQCT, a CT-based method that allows a study of the microarchitecture of bone, have shown that the microarchitecture is changed with reduced trabecular density at the tibia and lower cortical BMD at the radius, but with an increase during TRT. In addition, another study demonstrated that in young adults with Klinefelter syndrome treated from adolescence, measures from high-resolution PQRT improved in most, but not all. Alberto Ferlin summarized recent data and concluded that the relationship between testosterone, BMD, and fracture is not clear in men with Klinefelter syndrome and that more research will be needed to better determine this relation, as well as pointing towards the best biomarkers to evaluate the effects of TRT. In addition, other compartments such as skeletal muscle and fat are also influenced by TRT and several studies have determined that muscle mass is universally reduced and fat mass increased in men with Klinefelter syndrome starting during childhood and into adulthood. A study in children showed a positive effect of oxandrolone treatment on fat mass, and in adults, a small randomized controlled trial, RCT, also showed decreases in fat mass during active treatment. Finally, a recent meta-analysis concluded that TRT exerts positive effect on bone, muscle, and fat mass. Of particular note, it is even more evident that the relation between testis function and bone skeletal muscle metabolism in subjects with Klinefelter syndrome cannot be limited to testosterone levels as other characteristics might be involved, such as the expression and function of the androgen receptor, insulin-like factor 3, INSL3, and 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels. Klinefelter syndrome in transition. Transition of young adolescents with Klinefelter syndrome to the adult clinic remains a problem. Anders Juhl presented new data concerning anthropometry, endocrine, and metabolic changes during the pubertal transition and discussed when and how to start TRT. Concerns regard the appropriate time to initiate TRT remain controversial without good data to guide clinicians. There's a clear need for additional studies, preferentially RCTs, focusing on advantages and drawbacks to early versus late start of TRT, including focus on issues like fertility and neurocognition.
supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes, fertility, and testicular function. Kleinfelter syndrome has been associated with infertility since the original description and is considered one of the hallmarks of the syndrome. Great progress has been seen in recent years, and today many men with Kleinfelter syndrome can be offered T's, testicular sperm extraction, micro-T's, with a recovery rate of about 40%, pregnancy rate of 43% per intracytoplasmic sperm injection, ICSI cycle, and a cumulative pregnancy rate of 16% by ICSI. Research is ongoing in understanding the causes for the poor functioning of the testes. Georg Grommel presented a keynote lecture with a novel view of testicular function in men with Kleinfelter syndrome, suggesting that disturbed vascularization contributes to the observed testicular hormone resistance, the cause of hyalinization of the testes with subsequent hypogonadism and infertility is unknown. There is a loss of spermatogonia from infancy, while hyalinization of the seminiferous tubules does not occur probably until mid-puberty. At the beginning of puberty, testes grow to approximately 4 to 8 milliliters and thereafter shrink to the pathological adult size of less than 4 milliliters. Testes may be malfunctioning already during intrauterine life since Micropenis, seen in some newborn males with Kleinfelter syndrome, may be a result of decreased testosterone production in utero. The genetics behind the demise of the testes in Kleinfelter syndrome is incompletely understood. Previous studies of testes have investigated genetic, epigenetic, and transcriptomic changes in Kleinfelter syndrome on bulk testes tissue or at single cell level using single cell RNA-seq, SCRNA-seq. None of these studies have convincingly pinpointed disease mechanisms or candidate genes, probably due to the small sample sizes and lack of clinical and pathological information necessary to understand the spectrum of non-obstructive azospermia. Alan Rogel presented an overview of fertility and hormonal function in XYY and trisomy X syndromes, with recognition of the limited research on this topic. Clinical data show that fertility is affected to a certain degree in these syndromes, and also that many fewer become fathers and mothers, possibly also due to socioeconomic factors. Clinical studies among 47XYY males have shown that the pubertal maturation, testicular histology, and spermatogenesis is most often normal, although epidemiological data suggest that some testicular dysfunction is frequent. Small testes, although most have normal-sized or even large testes, Decreased spermatogenesis, spermatogenic arrest, subfertility, and sterility have been reported. It appears that XY pairing and recombination usually occurs normally in 47XYY, with the extra Y chromosome being lost during spermatogenesis, so that many 47XYY men have fathered chromosomally normal children. In trisomy X syndrome, premature ovarian failure, primary ovarian insufficiency, is more prevalent than in controls and there are many case reports of both primary and secondary amenorrhea. Anti-malarian hormone, AMH levels, as a marker of ovarian reserve is low in adolescence. However, the significance of these levels to risk of POI or future fertility remain unclear. Further, cases of precocious activation of the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis with and without signs of early puberty, lower ovarian volumes, and early onset menarche have been reported in small sample sizes compared to controls. It was concluded that there is a great need for additional research on puberty and fertility in both XYY and trisomy X syndromes. 
supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes, neurocognitive and behavioral development. The keynote lectures by Sophie Van Rijn and co-workers and Nicole Tartaglia focused on the recent developments over the last couple of years of the TriXY study and the Extraordinaries Baby study and presented exciting new data in the largest cohorts of very young children with Kleinfelter syndrome, trisomy X, and 47XYY studied to date. While it is known that all supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes present with an increased risk for an altered neurocognitive phenotype, autistic traits, ADHD symptoms, and socio-emotional and behavioral issues, results of these studies show emergence of early signs of these neurocognitive and behavioral diagnoses within the first years of life. Interestingly, both studies found that when comparing developmental profiles between SCT conditions, i.e. KS versus 47XY versus trisomy X, there were more similarities than differences pointing to the need to emphasize the effects of aneuploidy itself on neurodevelopment compared to previous large emphasis on hormonal effects. Increases in non-invasive prenatal genetic testing, NIPT practices in the USA, has allowed for prospective study of a new cohort of over 275 infants identified in the prenatal period with new detailed descriptions of developmental trajectories, milestone acquisition, and early medical problems such as feeding disorders and atopic conditions that can guide pediatric care. Coupled with a bank of biological samples, translational and longitudinal studies of this cohort have great potential to understand predictors of phenotypic variability in SCT conditions. Studies from Leiden detailing the first interventions to improve socio-emotional difficulties in both young children and adult men were presented, which is most exciting because prevention and treatment will hopefully lead to a better quality of life for these patients. Impact of X and Y on life course. The full natural course for those with supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes is not clear. Klaus H. Grafhold presented comparative data on males with Kleinfelter syndrome and 47XYY syndrome and pointed out that many aspects of the two syndromes are indeed quite similar. Late diagnosis, many undiagnosed cases, nonspecific increases in morbidity covering all ICD-10 chapters International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems, version 10, increased medicinal use, again covering all types of medication, a poor socioeconomic trajectory with early retirement in many instances, and increased risk of criminality and increased mortality. Different studies have also shown similarities in neurocognitive profile of Kleinfelter syndrome with deficits in cognitive functioning, including language and executive functioning, and slightly decreased IQ. Also, an increased referral to psychiatric treatment has been found. A survey for sex chromosome alterations among patients with schizophrenia found a four- to five-fold excess of patients with Kleinfelter syndrome. Similarly, neurocognitive changes are described among males with 47XYY syndrome. But while boys with Kleinfelter syndrome have significantly smaller whole brain volumes on MRI, males with 47XYY seem to have normal brain volume. Advocacy and supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes. A number of people representing different advocacy organizations attended the workshop and participated very constructively and with great enthusiasm. They raised questions related to schooling, anxiety, quality of life, 
the lack of international consensus, and the general lack of medical professionals with knowledge of supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes. For example, they described the enormous burden they carry having to explain their child-specific syndrome to most medical professionals and educators whenever in contact with healthcare and education systems. They also pointed to the fact that most countries do not have healthcare systems that, quote, catch, unquote, diagnose patients with supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes, thus pinpointing a clear deficiency in the current genetic testing and care models. New International Guidelines At the closing of the meeting, a session on the need for new multidisciplinary care guidelines for Kleinfelter syndrome was held. Alberto Ferlin, who together with Michael Zitzman had chaired the European Academy of Andrology's recent guidelines, presented these guidelines, which are a major leap forward in generating a uniform platform for improved care for all males with Kleinfelter syndrome. Shanley Davis and Lise Axglade presented areas of care that also needed to be acknowledged and improved concerning care of patients with Kleinfelter syndrome. And Klaus H. Grafhold presented a roadmap towards a new international set of guidelines with focus on inclusion of all invested parties and societies around the world through a transparent process. The goal will be to bring together the Kleinfelter syndrome medical and research community leaders to develop international, up-to-date, and evidence-based recommendations for medical care for boys and males with Kleinfelter syndrome throughout the lifespan. Focus should be on all areas of Kleinfelter syndrome, including fertility, neurocognition, and psychological features, comorbidity, socioeconomic aspects, and others, including the increased number of subjects with a diagnosis of Kleinfelter syndrome following prenatal screening. We discussed that advocacy groups should also be involved in the process. The guidelines should serve as a benchmarking tool, should inspire more research in areas that specifically are underserved, and should be endorsed by as many professional societies as possible. During the session, it also became clear that there is a grave need for international guidelines in other areas, such as 47XXX and 47XYY syndromes, but also the rare supernumerary sex chromosome syndromes. Presently, it was deemed premature to develop such guidelines due to insufficient data. However, the process from the Kleinfelter syndrome project will serve as a model for future work for these conditions. At the close of the meeting, it was decided that the fourth international workshop on Kleinfelter 47XXX and 47XYY syndrome is to be held in Padua, Italy in 2025. Alberta Furlan is going to arrange this next workshop. Figure 1, the current status of knowledge concerning especially the genomics of Kleinfelter syndrome, but also 47XY and trisomy X. It's been realized that in addition to the altered chromosome count, there are changes in transcriptome, the non-coding transcriptome, and the methylome across different tissues. It remains to be understood how these changes affect the phenotype. Specific candidate genes need to be identified, and further genomic changes like histone and chromatin modifications also need to be addressed. In addition, an understanding of the temporal changes from fetal life to old age need to be achieved. Thank you for listening to this summary of the third international workshop on Kleinfelter syndrome, XYY, and trisomy X, authored by 10 leading scientists from five countries around the world. 
As you heard, new research raises more questions than it answers, but also opens new, exciting perspectives for early intervention and improved quality of life. For instance, in Kleinfelter's, the best known of the three, while testosterone supplementation has long been considered standard treatment from puberty onwards, there's significant controversy about how and when to start, and no direct evidence for the long-held belief that it protects against increased risk of early osteoporosis or metabolic syndrome. On the other hand, great progress in genetics shows that extra chromosomes result in complex interactions across the full genome and modifies transcriptome coding in multiple tissues in different ways over time, suggesting that many of the known health risks are not due to hormonal effects, but effects of sex chromosome dosage. This opens the perspective of better future understanding of specific pathways and better preventative treatments. One of the biggest recent breakthroughs comes from early age studies on neurodivergence, such as autism and ADHD, in young children, with new descriptions of X and Y chromosome-specific developmental trajectories and the first evidence-based interventions shown to improve quality of life, both of children and their parents. Finally, the voice and priorities of advocacy organizations is starting to be heard, highlighting major deficiencies in current genetic testing and care models around the world that results in enormous burden on families when faced with ill-equipped health, educational, and social systems. In conclusion, the authors call for the development of new up-to-date international multidisciplinary guidelines for Kleinfelters and recognize the grave need for the same when it comes to 47XYY, trisomy X, and rare supernumerary sex chromosome differences. This is hindered, however, by current insufficient data. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did recording it. Please show your support by donating today. With your help, we will ensure an easy listening experience so you can access engaging and authoritative information on common genetic diversity in children and adults, notified to you weekly in your inbox. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Chromodiversity Season 3, and have a wonderful day.